Okay, hello and welcome to Argus Metal Movers podcast. Um, and today I'm here with Rob Anstey from GDI. They are developing silicon-based anodes for the battery market. And uh, I'm glad to be joined here. Uh, Rob, if you could introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit more about GDI, that would be great. Thanks, Thomas. Really appreciate the time today. Uh, really glad we had this opportunity. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of GDI. Uh, started the company over a decade ago, and we are focused primarily on the electrodes that that go into battery lithium-ion battery technology. Uh, we're based in Rochester, New York, with inside inside the Kodak Research and uh, Development uh, infrastructure. A bunch of our team is ex-Kodak. We uh, there are a landlord, they're an investor, and a partner. But we are a completely separate entity. Uh, we are primarily focused on 100% silicon anodes, which are chemically bonded directly to copper foil. Uh, and the reason for this is, you know, if you look at electric mobility, electric mobility has a, a different demand uh, on battery chemistry than many other applications. What what you really want is you want something that gets as close as possible to the way you use an internal combustion engine today, which mm -hmm. means that you have to have 15 minute charging or less. You need to have, you know, three to four to 500 miles of range uh, eventually. Uh, and and what you're seeing now is in, in all the press and all the media is exactly that. You know, there, there was this key focus by most of the car companies on cost but what we're seeing is that it's not about cost. I mean, Tesla has shown that over and over and over again. Uh, it's it's about whether you can replicate that user experience, whether you can charge when you need to charge at the high speed that you want to charge, whether you can get the range that you need to get. Uh, and I think particularly in the US and Europe, it's going to be much more about user experience. It's going to be much more about do they have enough range to not be nervous? Can they charge rapidly when they need to? Can they charge where they need to? Um, Car prices have been skyrocketing in the last two years. I, I don't really think cost is the number one pain point of people switching from from gas to electric. You know, when I talk to people who drive gas cars, I try to get their feedback, and their feedback is always the same: charge is too slow, not enough miles. I I, I hardly ever hear cost mm. uh, because you don't start thinking about price until you've decided you're willing to actually give something a shot, and they're not willing to give it a shot if they can't charge fast, and they're not willing to give it a shot if they can't get the range they need. So what's the benefits then of, of silicon anodes? So the main benefit of silicon is it stores 10 times more lithium than graphite per gravimetric. Uh, and, and you could argue it, it stores about five times more volumetrically. Uh, and people have been trying to get silicon into batteries for a very long time. I mean, if you, if you opened up a battery inside a Tesla, you would find 9% silicon oxide. Silicon oxide is 45% silicon, 55% oxygen. So the leading cars right now have about 5% elemental silicon in them, and they've been trying for a very long time to get higher than that. Uh, it's been a huge struggle because silicon absorbs so much lithium, it will expand by 300%, uh, and it doesn't like to play well with others. So uh, graphite and binder and silicon have much different expansion coefficients. They operate at different voltages. Uh, so it really is sort of a, a tug of war between the silicon powder and everything else in the system. And that's exactly why we invented what we did. We realized uh, we needed to do a blank canvas. We had to solve this with first principle. And first, and, and we did a lot of different binder systems for ultra caps and for cathodes. And we just realized silicon is never going to get along with the slurry process and the binder process. 
We've we've talked to about seven or eight different car companies, and uh, we have NDAs, so I can't go into specifics. But I always ask them the same question: What do you think is the limit of silicon in the anode based on your internal development? And the 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 average I get is fifteen percent. That all of them think that fifteen percent is going to be a very hard number to get above, because it affects as you're mixing, your coating, your adhesion. It will rip your current collector to shreds. It will delaminate. It will cause stability issues. Um, so, so what we realized is that was a function of trying to make an anode the way you traditionally make an anode. And fifteen percent, honestly, is just not enough. Uh, you need to get to 100% uh, in order to get the full benefit of the fast charging. You need to get to 100% to get the full benefit of the range anxiety. And just in the last two weeks, I hope there's a very strong message to the entire industry. You need to get 100% because there is no future graphite for the West. Yeah, graphite just... will be used by China to make Chinese batteries and Chinese cars. It is just a matter of time before they consume all of their available production. Just before we get onto graphite, because I definitely want to speak on that. Um, but just just how quick would would a car charge then if you've got uh, a silicon one hundred percent silicon anode? A silicon anode has about an order of magnitude higher lithium ion conductivity than than a graphite slurry based system, uh, because the entire anode turns into a silicon lithium alloy. Right. So so it has a much higher coefficient of lithium diffusion. We have already shown. Uh, that we can charge about 70% in six minutes. Now, you wow. wouldn't do that normally because you're going to mm -hmm. cause excessive degradation doing that. My my rule of thumb is people are starting to finally learn how to use batteries with their cell phones. Uh, mm -hmm. After certain companies purposely killed batteries to cell phones, uh, people have understood you really don't want to charge above 80 or 90. You really don't want to discharge between 20 and 10 if you want your battery to last a long time. And a car is an investment, a car is an asset. And people, you know, I own an electric car, I drive an electric car and I, I, I stick to the 20 to 80 rule. And that's really where we want to enable fast charging to live. So uh, wow. so our goal, and we already have internal data, uh, you know, justifying this, that you can charge from 20% to 80% in 15 minutes for the life of the vehicle. So we are aiming to get, 515 minute charging cycles from 20 to 80 so that if you don't have home charging and you don't have a garage and you don't have somewhere that you can charge consistently which is probably 70 percent of drivers uh that have not already bought electric cars 70 percent of the remaining drivers who refuse to switch um you can do that for the life of the vehicle you can charge from 20 to 80 percent of 15 minutes every single time in the life of the vehicle and you cannot do that with a 15% silicon system. You can't mm -hmm. because you will destroy the graphite. So, yeah, you've just said that 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 word graphite there. Um, I think that uh, everyone's seen the recent news that China have imposed restrictions on their graphite. I mean, what impact do you think that could have on the West's build out of battery gigafactories and, and, and the whole battery infrastructure? So, I would say don't take my word for it. China published all this in their Made in China 2025 plan. Um, they have publicly told the world exactly what their ambitions are. They want to be the global leader in EVs and EV battery technology. They have never stated they want to be the global leader of graphite, ever. 
they have said very clearly, we want to be the global leader of EVs and batteries. And they always think way, way ahead of the West. The West is worried about next quarter, next quarter, next quarter. China plans in five and 10 and 15 year increments, and that's their biggest strength. Their biggest strength is their much more long-term uh, planners. And it's very clear if you look at any other industry, whether it's cell phones, laptops, computers, wind, solar, they, they dominate the raw materials and price them at cost or potentially even at losses in order to destroy you know, any raw material supply chain in the West to dominate critical materials. And then that gives them all the leverage they need to then move up the value chain and, and dominate the, the vertical. And so if you look at graphite, they've always kept it very low. They always have overproduction. They've made it almost completely uneconomical for any Western companies or entities to try to compete and they can't compete. No one in the West can come anywhere near their cost or volume. And what does that, what does that do? Well, every single battery, whether it's LFP, NMCA, NMC, NCA, they all have graphite in the anode, all of them. And even these new silicon carbon composites still have 80% graphite. Um, so basically, what does that mean? What does that mean? It means that if they decide to become just a, a supplier of batteries, they can effectuate that very easily. Now, you know, if they don't want to see aggressive or predatory, what they'll do is just say, we used it all. I'm sorry. We used all of it in our batteries. There's none left. Uh, or they could do what they did over the weekend, which is basically sh shoot over the bow saying, you know, if you're going to restrict our access to uh, circuits and semiconductors and, and other things, then we can we can cause you some pain, too, and we can restrict your your access to critical battery raw materials. But ultimately, it was never Chinese China's plan to become the dominant graphite supplier. They want to be the dominant EV supplier, which means there's an inherent conflict of interest that the industry just continues to ignore, which is if China has to choose between selling electric vehicles and graphite, it's a no-brainer. And even Elon Musk came out recently and said, BYD's new car is great. Like they are offering a competitive product where they weren't before. So I think the writing's kind of on the wall. I just think some some Western car companies don't want to read the writing. It's that eventually they're not going to get graphite because it's going to go into Chinese batteries and Chinese cars. You think it's um, hubris or or an, or an an actual inability to to deal with 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 just the economies of scale that China has? Okay, I'm going to say something slightly controversial without trying to offend anyone. Yeah. Europe had no issue with buying natural gas from Russia. Mm. And you can ask yourself a lot of questions why. It didn't work out the way they planned. So the question is, whatever the mentality was for Europe to buy natural gas from Russia, I would infer the same mentality is going on right now with graphite. And mm -hmm. so uh, I think it's simple things. It's simple things like abundance, cost, it's easy, you know, uh, mm -hmm. It, it, and, and just it, it comes back to that quarterly system. If people are only responsible for the next four quarters and the next eight quarters, they're they're basically telling themselves it's okay. I won't be in charge when it finally happens, so I don't need to worry about it. 
Right. <laughs> <And> right. So, <laughs> so, so it really comes down to this sort of short-term view where it's like, well, the good news is I won't be in charge when the hammer falls, so mm-hmm. I'll leave it to the next person <laughs> to deal yeah. with this this nightmare because it's not going to affect me in the next 12 to 18 months. Uh, but it is inevitable, uh, just like some would argue it was inevitable with Russia and natural gas. Um, so I think it's a mix of, of short-term focus, and I think it is a little bit of hubris where some of these Western car companies just don't think that China can ever make a competitive car. But if you keep talking about cost, and I hear it all the time from all the majors, oh, we have to have cost, cost, cost. That's a suicide mission. You will never beat China on cost, ever. Go talk to solar companies. Go go talk to wind turbine companies. Go Go talk to anyone. Actually, just look at where your phone was made. Look at where your monitor was made. Look at where your computer was made. So so if an automotive company is saying, I'm focused on cost reduction, then you might as well just sell your company to the Chinese automotive companies because you will never win that, ever. You need to focus on performance, user experience, uh, you know, the, the fact that there is still some nationalistic desire to buy you know, cars made in your country or your region, um, cost should be the, the the last thing on your list because you will never, ever, ever beat China at that, ever. Uh, none of the other industries worked out that way. So, so I think that's the other issue. I think the other issue is the car companies really need to realize we need to offer a different user experience, longer range, faster charging, better performance. Because Norway, as everyone should know, Norway is the litmus test. It is the future seer. And right now, Chinese vehicles are doing very well in Norway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's, there's quite a lot of um, Chinese exports to, uh, to Norway. Um, we, we sort of track the the export numbers from, from various different countries on electric vehicles. And China's gone from strength to strength. And it is sweeping up pretty much 90% of the world's electric vehicle exports as as we as we stand. Um so we'll see if that if that become if that continues to be a trend as as the Western car makers build out. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I think one interesting thing is when you're thinking about um, replacement of different uh, battery metals in in batteries. So say replacing graphite and silica uh, with silicon and and so on. I mean, do you believe there are there are other materials? out there that china controls and that they could also use this tactic um in i mean I, I, let me not say material let me say the actual component um mm. it is very hard for anyone other than tesla and panasonic uh and i guess lg samson to compete with chinese cell building china has come such a long way in their quality control and their volumes and their economics of scale in their units um it's going to be very very hard for the west once again this is why i think it's so myopic to focus on cost i don't see how the west competes on a per kilowatt hour basis with the price that china can hit and so what they've done is they've done something very wise and very uh, long-term thinking. They built entire supply chains within regions, uh, everything from the components to the raw materials to the raw material refinement, everything vertically integrated, uh, 
basically all the way to the mines, because if you notice, the Chinese government is taking a vested interest in all the minerals across the world. So they were even ahead when it came to the raw materials, right? You know, running and owning the mines in Africa and South America, et cetera, et cetera, right? So they really planned this out quite well. Uh, and so I'd say their vertical integration is going to be incredibly hard to overcome. And so really the only opportunity is to move to the next generation. I always use this argument. When Vietnam went to build out its telecommunication system, they didn't do landlines. They didn't do landlines. They went straight to mobile phones. And if the West wants to compete, you can't try to make the cell the same cell chemistry that China is making today, the same batteries that China is making today. That's like trying to rebuild the landline instead of going to the mobile phone. So I would argue that it is critical for the West to, to learn that lesson from history and move to next generation cell chemistries because I just don't see a path where they can compete on cost and scale with the conventional cell chemistries. Uh, other than, of course, we're, you know, I think Samson, Panasonic, LG, those those players, they also have done a very good job of vertically integrating. They've also done a very good job of their unit economics. But they also have premium cells. You know, they have premium cells. Samson at Panasonic, LG are pushing 260 watt hours, 270 watt hours per kilogram cells. They're not they're not trying to compete with CATL with you know, just pure cost, they, they are offering a better energy density, a, a better charge performance. So mm. even they, even the monsters of the industry have realized, no, 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 we're not going to focus just on cost. We're going to offer a premium product to what's coming out of China. So so speaking of moving on to the next um, the next generation of battery technology, um, obviously that that's looking like it's increasingly going to be solid state batteries and then and then different forms of cathodes um containing less of the key battery materials that we've known and gotten used to in terms of the anode side um 100 silicon anode solution is is what is considered next gen i mean are there any supply chain risks for silicon based anodes that we should be aware of so the the Part of when we created this technology with a blank canvas, we wanted to make sure that we were piggybacking off existing supply chains. So we have a strategic uh, long-term joint development agreement with AGC, a Saki glass company, one of the world's largest glass companies, largest glass coating companies. Uh, and we are basically modifying their glass coating equipment in order to deposit our silicon directly onto our copper. So that means that unlike a lot of our silicon competitors, we're not inventing a new manufacturing method where the supply chain of the equipment doesn't exist yet, uh, which is the first supply chain thing you have to worry about. The first thing you have to worry about is manufacturing. How do you manufacture and does that equipment exist? So we, we minimize the risk of the supply chain of the equipment first by partnering with a, a global leader in the equipment and in the production. Next up is the copper foil. Uh, silicon will rip traditional copper foil to shreds uh, if you go above about 10%. Um, so we realized that early on, if anyone wants to go above 10%, they need to use a new type of foil. And we have a long-term partnership with uh, Schlink in Germany, uh, and they make this amazing uh, high tensile strength uh, copper alloy, 
uh, and they can make that in millions and millions of meters squared. They've been around for 100 years. They can mm -hmm. scale that component up uh, to the volumes that we need. Then last but not least, we wanted to refine the, the process to use as few components as possible. And so I can tell you that all of our precursors are industrial commodity uh, gases. Uh, it's a direct gas to solid program. Uh, we do not use binders. We do not use these next-gen binders that other silicon companies need to use that are not available at scale yet. Uh, we, we don't have to use things like carbon nanotubes and other things. We literally do a complete gas to solid process uh, with a, PE, a high throughput PECBD process. Uh, people go, oh, is that scalable? And I go, have you ever seen the shard in London? Well, AGC coded the entire skyscraper. So ask yourself if that process is scalable. And that's not the only skyscraper they've coded. <laughs> so I can see the shard from the window. Oh, no way. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. I, I yeah. swear we didn't set that up. <laughs> so, so, so convenient. So whenever people say, so whenever people say, oh, but PCBD, that's not scalable. I go, oh, really? Are skyscrapers small? I can't, I can't remember. Remind me. Uh, so we, we, we went out of our way to choose manufacturing technology that's, that's coding skyscrapers. And that's why we're so confident that, that we can hit the scale that automotive companies need. Uh, and, and all these industrial commodity gases are well understood processes that have been manufactured for decades and decades and decades. So as long as there's demand there, all the producers can just increase the supply. Uh, it's a very demand driven market uh, it, with the ebbs and flows of semiconductors and the ebbs and flows of photovoltaics. Um, so batteries are not gonna be a huge slice of that for a while. And, and as long as you get ahead of the demand curve, these are processes that can be readily scaled to massive volume because they're all already commodity industrial uh, chemicals. And in terms of the silicon that's actually used, I mean, we cover various different grades of silicon metal. Is it is it a silicon metal that is is used to form um, the, the original product, or, or or is it straight from quartz to uh, high purity quartz to to the to the anode? So we're looking at a number of different precursors, but the, the main one that we're starting with is silane gas. And silane gas is a byproduct of the of the solar infrastructure. Right. Um, and the beautiful thing about silane gas is it's already very pure. You, we don't need purities that solar companies need or semiconductor companies need, but you still don't want any trace metal impurities that could screw with your electrochemistry, which is why I, I'm not a big believer in uh, metallurgic grade silicon for batteries because any trace metals are going to cause electrochemical issues. Um, mm. So the benefit. So silane gas is a, is a, is a byproduct of the photovoltaic industry, is that correct? Yeah, so I mean, there are globally hundreds of thousands of metric tons made. The primary countries are obviously China, uh, Korea, South Korea, uh, Japan, uh, and America, actually. America makes quite a lot. Europe used to, but when the whole solar industry left for China, it took silane with it. Um, but there, there are leading companies in Europe like Air Liquide and, and Linda who, who could bring it back to life or Vacher who could bring it back to life if the demand is there. But they're all worried about what happened with the solar market, right? They built all this infrastructure and then solar left to China and they got uh, left holding the bag. So really the message needs to get across to these companies that batteries need to be made domestically. Battery raw materials need to be made domestically. So this time around, 
uh, you can build the factories, it's going to be okay. But <laughs> for large companies who got burnt by photovoltaics, that's that's convenient, but I don't know if they, they truly believe it yet. Uh, one company who's been very active is REC Silicon in Washington State in Butte, Montana, and they have a very large production output, uh, and they've already got a number of silicon companies cooperating with them to to use their material. So that company could easily scale production as the demand curve uh, accelerates. Mm-hmm. Mm. So uh, yeah, final final question. Um, what's your what's your plan for the rest of the, for the for the, the future of the company? Um, where do you see your yourself scaling up to? So most most of our our potential customers we talk to, um, and we love talking to people who've used silicon for a while because it makes our lives easier. Uh, they hate it. They hate silicon. They don't want to mix it. They don't want to coat it. They don't want to do anything. They just want something that they can put directly in a battery. So our vision is to make a complete silicon anode foundry. Uh, it will be similar to a glass factory or a solar or a solar factory. Uh, we get rid of the dry room. We get rid of all powder handling. And, and silicon powder is dangerous. A lot of people have to remember that most of the fires that happen in the photovoltaic industry were related to silicon powder. Silicon powder is exothermic. Silicon powder can ignite uh, both outside a battery and inside a battery. So it also causes major safety issues uh, during thermal runaway events inside a battery. So the key is get rid of silicon powder, get rid of it. So what we want to do is do that. Uh, we are going to build foundries where we will make miles and miles or kilometers and kilometers of silicon coated copper foil, which can then be delivered directly to any uh, end user or cell manufacturer who can then put that into cells. Uh, we already have some initial cell partners who have said just that. We have used leading silicon carbon powders. They are a nightmare. There is inconsistency, batch to batch uniformity. They don't mix the same way, coat the same way. Uh, it is uh, traumatizing, I think was his word, traumatizing. And he said, you know, this is great. We can just take an anode and we could put it directly into our stack and it works just like a normal anode would work uh, and they can just build batteries out of it. So that's our that's our mission. That's our vision uh, is enable silicon without all the pain uh, and just supply fully finished mature 100% silicon anodes on copper that can go directly into cell construction. Fantastic. Um, I think it's a really interesting conversation um, and uh, thanks a lot for your time. Um, I hope that uh, everyone goes and checks you out. Um, and yeah, thanks Thanks for being with us, Robert. Hey, Thomas, I really appreciate the time today and, and, and your interest and looking forward to future conversations. That's great. Uh, thanks everyone for listening to uh, Argus Metal Movers. Um, if you want any more information, you can go to www.argusmedia.com. Uh, I'm Tom Kavanagh and I will see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.